There's no truer statement than that one. None whatsoever. Someone has said that you and I are as close to God as we want to be. Uh, God will never turn you away, draw nigh to God, and, and he will draw nigh to you. I, I, I saw earlier today a brief uh, video of former President Trump as he went through a VA hospital. There was a soldier. Uh, the camera was already inside the soldier's room. He had lost a leg uh, in, in the war. And uh, President and Mrs. Trump were just uh, in, uh, in that hospital. Uh, you understand hundreds and hundreds of patients just all in that, that one hospital, and he did not have the time or the opportunity to go room by room and visit with, with everyone. So he has selected uh, a few rooms to go in, and, and the amazing thing was as, as uh, they, the uh, president and his wife, uh, Mrs. Trump, stepped in first, and here's this soldier who's gravely wounded, lost uh, his leg above the knee, and he uh, made his way out of the bed when Mrs. Trump walked in to stand in honor of her and she kept telling him you don't need to stand up and he said but yes I do and moments later the president walked into the room and the soldier just standing at attention in front of his commander-in-chief and it was a very moving moment and you could see the emotion on the soldier's face you could see the emotion on the president's face but you understand there were only a few soldiers in that entire hospital that had that experience God is not like that God is not just selecting here and there one or two. He wants to walk with you and you and you and you and me and you. He wants to walk with all of us. The question is, do we want to walk with him? That was a great song. That was a great truth. We are in the study of the life of Joseph. We are doing so because of all the people in the Bible who embody the heart of of a champion, our theme that is up here. I don't think that anybody does it better than Joseph. Joseph is one of only a handful of individuals that are talked about in the word of God of whom God says nothing negative. Daniel and his three friends, there's four right there. Uh, if you read through the book of Daniel, you won't find anything negative uh, that is ever said about those four individuals from the time they were children all the way to the end of their stories. Daniel's lifespan and ministry covered about 70 years of time. Not one negative thing is said. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have bad days. It does not mean that they were not sinners. They certainly were. But for whatever reason, God didn't choose to say anything negative about them. Stephen, in the New Testament is another such individual of whom God says nothing negative. Um, I, I was thinking of Samuel, the prophet, who began serving God from the time he was a very young child. The only thing negative that the Bible may mention about him is the fact that Samuel's sons, the Bible says, were sons of Belial. That means that they were lost young men. They never, they never became believers in the God that Samuel uh, served and, and preached. So somewhere along the line, perhaps as a father, Samuel may have dropped the ball a little bit. I want to be careful about what we say because we don't know the circumstances. But there aren't a whole lot of people. David was a man after God's own heart, but we know some terrible facts about David's life uh, and so forth. 
Joseph is one, you can read his story starting in chapter 37 all the way through the end of Genesis, and uh, you're not going to find anything negative that God says about him. An incredible individual. We have been looking at his life to find out what it was that, that made him such an unusual man. We know that Potiphar looked at him and saw that the Lord was with him. The prison guard looked at him and saw that the Lord was with him. Pharaoh met him uh, the day he came out of prison. He had one encounter with Joseph. And, and by the end of that encounter, Pharaoh looks at his entire court and says, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? This is these were all lost men, all Egyptians that saw this young man and said that the Lord was with him. So we're trying to ask ourselves the question, what did they see? What was it about Joseph that brought them to this conclusion? We've looked at Joseph's life in one aspect and saw that in spite of the hurt he endured as a young man, he still lived a holy life. He didn't use the troubles at home and the mistreatment of others as his excuse to do wrong. Joseph stayed holy before God. We learned number two, Joseph may have lost his favored status and he lost his family and he lost his freedom by the end of chapter 37, but Joseph chose not to lose his faith. He never wavered on that. That was a choice that he made, which brings us into chapter 39. He has been sold by his brothers into slavery. His world has been turned upside down and inside out in verse one, as we read with brother Vara and Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Joseph has been sold into slavery. Slavery did not start in the 17 or 1800s. It's almost as old as human history is old. A, a slavery, in my opinion, is just an abomination on the human race. Uh, it is just something that never should have been, never should be. By the way, it still goes on today uh, in many parts of the world. Uh, but Joseph was sold into this horrid trade. Slavery dehumanized the victims of that process. They were no longer considered human beings. They were considered pretty much on the same status as cattle, horses, or any other type of livestock. I am mindful of the group to whom I'm, I am speaking tonight, but when Joseph finally arrived in Egypt, he was placed on an auction block with the other slaves. It was a degrading process. It was a process whereby all dignity is literally stripped away from him and he is poked, he is prodded, he is examined as if he were a prized mare uh, and auctioned off to the highest bidder. Joseph's experiencing all of this. He is a believer in the one true God. From his youth, he is a young man who has loved God, who's done right, even when everybody else around him is doing wrong. It seems unfair in every way for Joseph to be here, but it doesn't change the fact that that's exactly where Joseph ended up. 
He is sold in, into slavery, bought by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And verse number two says, the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't it a wonderful thing that no matter what we go through as believers, we have the assurance the Lord will always be with us. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We may go through life and people that we thought were our friends will turn their back on us for one reason or another. The Lord never will. He may not be pleased with us. He may not be happy with what we are doing, how we are living, but God doesn't throw away his children. Someone wrote a song, said there are no orphans of God. Just think about that for a moment. When you got born again and you became a child of God, that is a permanent lasting relationship that is never going to change. And you may not value it as you should, and I may not value it as I should, but God, our heavenly father, most certainly does. And there'll never, ever be a, a child of God that can claim uh, when I needed God, he was not there. God left me alone and, and I, was, I, was, I was abandoned by God. That will never be true. And Joseph found that to be true in this horrid circumstance. And the Lord was with Joseph. I do not know how the Lord may have manifested his presence to Joseph. At 17, God spoke to him through those dreams. And so Joseph was aware of God's plan and purpose for his life. I don't know what God did in Egypt. The Bible does not say, other than the fact that God just letting us know, I never abandoned him. The Lord was with Joseph. And it goes on to say, and he was a prosperous man. You understand he is a slave. Slaves own no property. No matter how Joseph rose in the household of Potiphar, he became overseer eventually of everything that this man Potiphar owned. Um, he was second in command. In fact, Joseph knew more about Potiphar's business dealings and finances than even Potiphar did. Potiphar just busied himself with being captain of Pharaoh's army. He, he had no idea how much money he had in the bank. He had no idea how many servants he owned. He had no idea where his finances or anything like that stood. Joseph knew more about it than Potiphar did, but Joseph was still a slave. Joseph had no freedom. Now, as overseer, he had a little more rank than the other slaves, he probably was trusted to come and go down to the market or, or here and there uh, to, to a certain degree. But the truth is he was still a slave. And at the end of the day, he belonged to another human being. Canaan land wasn't that far away. It was about a three-day journey. Do you realize that Joseph could have gotten one of Potiphar's horses and a chariot and taken off and he could have made that journey uh, in, in a few days time. But if he had done so, he'd have been considered a runaway slave. They would have hunted him down like an animal. They would have dragged him back to Egypt and his, his status as overseer was all done. Joseph wasn't free to make his own choices. He still had to do everything that Potiphar said the way Potiphar wanted it done. Joseph was a slave and he had no freedom. Yet the Bible says he was a prosperous man. Let's be honest. When we think of prosperity, what do we think of? We think of money, don't we? 
Okay, we think of a big bank account and a great stock portfolio uh, and, and uh, portfolio and all that kind of stuff. But do you understand that in the Bible, when the word prosper, prosperity, or prosperous is used, it is seldom used in regards to someone's wealth. Uh, by definition, uh, the word the word prosperous uh, carries the idea. Of, of an individual um, who it means to, to push forward. It means you're going forward. You're making advancements in life. Uh, it, it means to make progress, to succeed, to be victorious in a rightful endeavor. It may or may not mean that you, you're good at business and your business turns over a, a notable profit. It may or may not mean that, but most of the time it has nothing to do with that. In fact, the very first time that the word prosperous is used in the Bible, turn back a few pages, Genesis 24. And it's not a rabbit trail. This is all very important for us to understand where Joseph is and what is actually going on in his life. Genesis 24 is one of the most amazing accounts in all of the book of Genesis. Abraham is getting up in years and his, uh, his son Isaac needs a wife. And Abraham does not want Isaac to marry one of the heathen women in Canaan uh, there around him. And so uh, Abraham brought his servant, his eldest servant, and he said, look, uh, I need to get a, a wife for my son Isaac, and I don't want him marrying these girls, so I want you to go back to where I came from. I want you to go to my kindred, and from my kindred, I want you to find a bride for my son. So the servant begins to make that journey and, and he goes there. Uh, he comes into the town where Abraham hailed from and as he got there, he sat down in the, uh, by the, the town well. That was sort of like uh, Dunkin' Donuts in the day. That's where everybody gathered to catch up on news, you know, that type of thing. And I just saw a whole bunch of lights come on like, yeah, I understand that. And he's sitting there and he thought, well, I've come as far as I, I, I can. I, I did what my master told me. He said, now how in the world am I supposed to know which one of these girls is God's choice for Isaac? So he asked this prayer request. He said, Lord, I'm going to ask these young ladies that come to uh, the well for a drink of water. Now that was customary. That, there was nothing unusual about that. And it was the culture of the day that if somebody asked you for a drink, whether you knew them or not, you were to give them a drink of water because water was necessary for survival. It is even today, but especially in that climate and culture. If you neglected to give someone a drink of water who asked you, that was a dishonor on you and on your entire household. It, it just was not done. So the servant did not say, the girl who that I asked to give me a drink of water and she says, yes, that's the one. That's like saying, Lord, if you want me to do this, make the sun come up tomorrow. It's coming up tomorrow, no matter what. This servant made a, a, an addendum on his prayer request. It was astounding. He said, when I ask her for a drink of water, she will not only give me a drink, but she will volunteer to water all of my camels. Do you realize how much water a camel can drink? These are camels that have just finished their journey across the desert and their tank is on E. 
Do you realize how many trips to the well she's going to have to make to dump water into the trough for all of these camels? Even if it was just one of them, it's an enormous uh, task. But there was a whole bunch of them. There was a caravan. and, And he said, the girl that volunteers to do that, let her be the one. How many girls that are in here right now would go out and water, say, a dozen camels while all of your friends are at home enjoying life? Anybody like that? One of my granddaughters, she is drinking water. She is watering herself and refusing to answer the question entirely. It's it's just not done, he said, and she's going to have to volunteer it. So he's sitting there, and this girl, Rebecca, came out. Now, this servant had no idea who she was. He had no idea that she was actually a relation uh, of Abraham, uh, and it was, it, she was going to fit the, 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 the bill, I mean, to a T. He had no idea, but she came out, and he said, excuse me, young lady, uh, could you please give me a drink of water? And Rebecca said, well, absolutely, I'm, I'm going to give you a drink of water. And hey, while, you, while you're resting there, let me just go ahead and water all of your camels. Okay, so that, that's what's happened here. Look at chapter 24, Genesis 24. And uh, the Bible says in verse 20, and she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again under the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. It wasn't enough that she would volunteer. She'd have to follow through on it. And the man wondering at her held his peace. He didn't say anything yet. He didn't reveal to her why he was there. Um, and, and who had sent him in all the whole nine large yards to wit. That means to, he wanted to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. First time the word prosperous is found in your Bible and it has nothing to do with money, nothing whatsoever. It has to do with the fulfillment of the will and the plan of God. Going back to chapter 39, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He is a slave. He has no rights, none whatsoever. He has no freedom. At this point, he still has no say in what he does. We don't even know what his first jobs were when he was purchased by Potiphar and brought into his house. We just know that he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. This matter of being spiritually prosperous is one that ought to cause us to sit up and to take notice. It's fine if you're good at your job and you're skilled at whatever it is that you do and, and you are very accomplished. That's good, that's fine, that's wonderful. Uh, I, I would dare to say that's even important to do the very best. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That is a good thing. Uh, it is a fine thing if you get paid well for that which you do. There's not a thing wrong with that. Uh, God, God has, uh, he, he doesn't see poverty as being spiritual, nor does he see wealth as being spiritual. Um, uh, Paul wrote in, in, in uh, the book of uh, uh, second, or I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter six, that there are some that err supposing that gain 
is godliness. Wealth is not a sign that, that, uh, that God is uh, pleased with you or blessed with you. Bill Gates is an atheist, one of the wealthiest men in the world, but we know he's immoral. Uh, he, he hates the notion of God. He's got all that money. That's not because God's blessing him because he's such a godly man. There are some of the poorest people you want to find in third world countries that love God with all of their heart and, and they don't have two coins to rub together, but God's very pleased with them and with their level of faith that probably eclipses many of, 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 of us in this room. Um, he was a prosperous man because the Lord was with him and because he was with the Lord. In Joshua chapter one, we read this morning, this book of the law, God said to Joshua, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Um, God said, Joshua, you just have a very close relationship with my word. That's how you become prosperous. Remember, Joseph had no Bible though. Joseph had no church, he had no pastor, he had no Christian school, he had no youth program, he had no youth conference, yet the Lord was with him and he was a prosperous man. Turn, if you would, to Job chapter two. We'll be back here to Genesis 39 in a moment, but turn to Job chapter two. Right before the book of Psalms, Job chapter two. Job has lost his wealth. On the same day, he lost all 10 of his children. In chapter two, he has lost his health and he's living in the city dump. And if you would please, in verse number nine, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? That integrity, that word retain means you're still holding on to your integrity. We talked about this last week. Uh, Joseph, did, he, he lost everything else, but he chose not to lose his faith. He held on to that. Job's wife, in her pain, in her heartache, is struggling with her faith. Dost thou still retain thine in integrity, curse God, and die? But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And the same thing could have been said about Joseph. Joseph is a slave in another man's home in another country, but he's retained his integrity. That's what real prosperity is. That's what real victory is, is when everything in life is against you, but you stay right with God. Turn to Job chapter 23. Job 23. Verse number eight. Job is speaking and he's lamenting, behold, I go forward, but he, that he's talking about God, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. I'm looking in every direction, Job said, and I can't find God. I, I can't see his hand. I can't see his work. All I see is loss and pain and grief 
and heartache. He's been surrounded by his three friends for some time that, that have just attacked his character, intact his, attacked his integrity in his life. One of his friends went even so far as to insinuate that God killed your children because they were wicked. Why would you say that to a man whose children just died? And we know that that wasn't the case at all. But they, they actually had the audacity to say that to this man in his suffering. And Job is trying to find answers and help from God. And he can't sense the presence of God. But in spite of that, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. I don't know where he's at, but he knows where I am. When he hath tried me, when this is all said and done, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. I'm not letting my calamities be my excuse to walk out of the will of God. I'm not going to walk into sin. I'm not going to listen to the voice of my dear wife and curse God and die. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. I'm not going to backslide because I don't understand God. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We do not know how much Bible Job had. Job is considered to be one of the oldest characters, and this is considered to be one of the oldest stories in all of the Bible. So we can presume if that is true, Job had no more of God's word than Joseph did. He didn't have anything written down, but he had that word that was passed down from Adam to Seth and generation after generation. And he said, I esteem the words from the mouth of God more than my necessary food. If I have to choose between the Bible and my food, I'm going to pick up the Bible. Job was a man in the extremities of his awful circumstances that held on to his walk and his testimony with God. So we go back to this idea, go back to Genesis 39. He's a prosperous man. Verse three is the first time in the Bible that we see this statement about him and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. His master, an unsaved man, he probably knows nothing about Joseph's God, but he looks at him and he knows that God is with him. I learned a long time ago that if our faith is not visible, it has no value, none whatsoever. Turn to James chapter two. While you're turning there, we read the account in the book of Mark that Jesus was in a house in Capernaum one evening. And there were some men, there were four men that had a friend who was sick of the palsy. And they, they wanted to get him to Jesus. They wanted their friend to be healed. And yet they couldn't even get close because of the massive people that were surrounding the house. The streets would have been narrow and so forth. And so somehow they got up on the rooftop they pulled this man's bed up probably by ropes, got him up there, and then the Bible says they literally broke up the roof of somebody else's house. 
They were that concerned to get their friend to Jesus so that he could be healed. And, and here's Jesus down below with the assembled people in that room. And all of a sudden, the ceiling's caving in and dirt and, and dust and debris is, is showering all over them. And I'm sure there were a lot of unhappy people in that room. And suddenly they look, do you realize how big a hole it was in the roof to lower a bed in? And they're lowering this guy down by ropes in the bed. And the scripture makes this statement, when he saw their faith. Their faith was visible. And being visible like that is what made it valuable. Look what James has to say in James chapter 2, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. He's not talking that we get saved from our sin by our good works. He's talking about uh, how we live our lives, how we treat people, uh, how we, we go about our day-to-day -day affairs as believers. We can proclaim, oh yes, I know God. Yes, I love God. Yes, I believe God. He said, but if your life doesn't show it, again, uh, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So James is saying, you have every right, every right to say, I can show you my faith by my works. He's not talking about being self-righteous. He's not talking about doing things for the sake of show. He's just talking about the reality of a situation. Our faith ought to be demonstrated in how we live our lives. You say that you believe God. Do you live like you believe God? You say that you believe the Bible is true, that it is the word of God, that it is inspired, that God has preserved his words in the King James Bible. You claim to believe that. Do you live it? Do you do what the Bible says? Or do you have limitations on that? Do you say, I, I, I believe the Bible, but we've been using that statement an awful lot because that seems to be the great affliction of modern day Christianity. I believe the Bible, but are you in that crowd or do you say the Bible says, so that's what I'm going to do. The Bible says that we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I'm going to pass out tracts. I'm going to invite people to church. I'm going to go soul winning. I'm going to try to see people saved. Show me your faith by your works. If you don't have them, you've got nothing to show. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest, James goes on, that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Uh, do you know that Satan himself knows there's one God? He's been in his throne room and he's scared to death of that God. Now he's in a, 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 a violation of God's laws and commands. Uh, he is opposed to God, but he knows that one day he's going to be cast into a lake of fire and spend eternity there. The devils, when they came in contact with Jesus, one of the things they often says is torment us not, torment us not. The devils know who he is and they trembled. He said, but you understand if you have you claim that you have faith, but it doesn't show out in your life. You don't have works. He said, you're no better than the devils. So faith without works is dead. Faith without works is devilish. Um, put, let's put it this way. If our faith is not visible, 
It is worthless. It is absolutely worthless. It's worthless to the people you work with and live with and go to school with and rub shoulders with. If your faith is not visible, it is worthless. That's not my opinion. That's what James said. So then faith without works is dead. Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him. That tells us he had a faith that was visible by the way he lived his life. And you consider for Joseph how remarkable that is because if anybody should have been bitter and angry, disrespectful, disobedient, it could have and should have been someone in Joseph's position. Nothing about his life was fair. By the way, we need to get over the notion that life is supposed to be fair. We live in a world that is cursed by sin. It's not going to be fair till Jesus Christ rules and reigns forever and ever. Until then, life's not always going to be fair. And we just need to kind of get over this notion. But, but Joseph didn't play that game. Joseph was taken into a situation against his will, but he had a faith in almighty God. He didn't have all of the Bible that we have today. In fact, he had none of it in written form, but he understood who God was. He understood what God expected of him. And he didn't set that aside just because life had gone bad against him. People had treated him wrong. He didn't take it out on, on Potiphar, the other servants, the Egyptians around him. None of those things. Here's this young man in a situation that he didn't deserve to be in, but he's being kind. He's being honest. He's working hard. He's doing what he's told. He's being respectful. He's being loyal. He's being all of those things. And he's, he's doing them because he knows that's what God wants me to do, period. And his master looked at him. His master has other slaves. Slavery was common in Egypt at that time of, of, of history and, and, and so forth. And slaves, uh, they had to have respect beaten into them. They had to have their will just ground out of them until there was no more fight left in them. Uh, but the average slave was sullen and the masters, as long as you did your, their, your job, they didn't care whether you were happy about it or not. But here's this Hebrew kid, 17, 18, or 19 years of old, no more than that. Here's this Hebrew kid. Potiphar doesn't know his background and he doesn't care. All he knows is he bought this kid. He paid money for this kid. He this kid belongs to him. But this kid's not acting like a slave. He's not. This kid is acting like a human being. This kid's not defiant. This kid doesn't have attitude all over him. Has none of that. He's, he's uh, not living wickedly. He's not talking wickedly. He's not treating anybody poorly, taking it out on other people. There is something about this young man that is so real. I'm going to assume knowing Joseph that at some point he talked to Pharaoh about his God. 
I mean, uh, uh, he talked to Potter for about his God. First, first time before Pharaoh, he's saying, the answer's not in me, but there's a God in heaven and that God will reveal it to you. And he's talking about the, to the most powerful man in the world, telling him about the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind that at some point, uh, Potiphar heard about Joseph's God. We know a little bit later on. Look, if you're back, if you're back in Genesis chapter 39, if it wasn't bad enough that he's a slave, then he had to deal with temptation. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. She wanted to be immoral with him. She considered her position as the mistress of the house, that she owned him as much as Potiphar, and Joseph was bound to obey her, verse 8, but he refused. Said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth. That word wotteth means he does not know what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So we know Joseph was very vocal about who his God was. He was very willing to talk about it. And even in a moment of temptation, uh, he let Potiphar's wife know I'm not going to commit this sin. I'd be sinning against my master who trusts me, but I'd also be sinning against my God and I'm not going to do it. So Joseph was not only verbal about who his God was, he was visible in the faith that he displayed about other people of how that God affected his life. If our faith is not visible it is worthless. The words you say, do they testify that you have a walk with God? Ladies, when you're sitting over in the nursery, is your mouth running against every other person in the church? I'm going to guarantee you, if you are, you're not saying anything about your relationship with God except you don't have one. Teenagers, if behind the teacher's back or your parents' back, you're doing wrong, breaking the rules, you're not, you're not declaring, I have a relationship with God. Oh, by the way, if when the rest of the crowd around you is doing wrong and you say, I'm not doing that, that's not right. That's not what God wants us to do. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a visible faith. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? When I walk into the gym, my disability is visible. It's just there. There's, there's, there's no hiding it. Every, everybody sees it. Everybody understands that. I cannot hide it. So there's no use trying. But you see, everybody can see the disability, but that's not what I'm worried about. From day one, what I've been worried about is do they see my faith? Do they see that? And it's going to be more than a slogan on a t-shirt. Do they see my faith? Because you see, 
A faith that is not visible is worthless. A month ago, early March, I competed in what is called a powerlifting competition. And uh, it was a new experience. It was somewhat of a nerve-wracking experience. I'd never lifted in front of anybody except my trainer. So uh, I, was, I was very, very nervous about it, counting the other athletes that were there uh, and all of the spectators, the coaches, the judges, probably 150, uh, probably more than that, people all watching every person as they went out. My disability stood out all over the place. Everybody could see the prosthesis. Everybody could see by the way that I walk and so forth. Couldn't hide it. But before every competitor got out, they had, a, they had several video screens out in the, the staging area uh, and so forth. And before everyone went out, they put up the picture of that individual and they put their name and their weight class and so forth. And for mine, of course, it was my name, my weight class, 75 kilograms. Um, they, my category that I was competing in was adaptive athlete. And then it had some personal thing. It had occupation and it said pastor. Um, I'm not sure what else it said. I never saw it. I, I didn't know that they put it up there. I had no idea that they put it up there. Uh, when Tim's came up, he competed the same day his said assistant pastor. So I, I had no idea that it was there. All of a sudden, I had people coming up to me. I was sitting uh, in between lifts. I was sitting just in a, in a back corner, uh, just, just sitting there with Sam and just kind of talking, getting myself ready for going back out for the, I had nine lifts all together that day uh, and so forth. And Sam was just sort of talking me through things and, and, and uh, sort of keeping my mind focused. But all day long, somebody would just walk up and say, where's your church? And I had no idea. How did they know that there, I wasn't wearing a badge that said pastor, nothing like that. It was later that I found out that, that that was up on the screen for the entire day. I had teenagers. We're talking 14, 15, 16-year-old kids standing around me, talking to me like I was one of them, but we were talking about church and the Lord and the things of the Lord. College students. There's a young man that uh, asked Tim recently, he said, hey, is, is, is your dad going to compete again? And Tim gave him the date in which I was looking forward. He said, oh, awesome. He said, because I'm going to compete in that. And this young man was in my weight class. So we were kind of paired either right before, or right after one another, all throughout the course of the days, 19 years old, college student, uh, gonna, studying to be a physical therapist and an amazing young man uh, and so forth, introduced me to his mom. I had a young couple that I met that had just moved here from, from uh, uh, New Orleans. Uh, and so forth, all day long. I wasn't wearing a badge or hat or anything like that. There was something put up on the screen. Do you understand? I didn't know it was up there. I didn't know it was up there, but all of a sudden, all these people were looking at me now and they weren't seeing disabled. They were seeing believer. It said pastor, in their mind, that said Christian. Suppose I'd have been doing wrong. Suppose I'd have been laughing at someone's dirty joke or telling a dirty or off-color joke. And all these people watching me, and I'm not even aware of that. You see, um, Joseph was in a situation, 
He didn't have to live for God because there's nobody to ever make him live for God. He chose to. He had a faith that was visible. Otherwise, he would have just been another slave in the mind of Potiphar. When, when things got worse and Pharaoh's, or I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife tried to entice him, he gave a testimony and said, I can't sin against God. Look, if you would, please, verse 10. Came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. This wasn't a one-time deal. Day after day after day after day. This horrible woman was persistent in, in her pursuit of this young man. Joseph not only refused to give in to her, to lie with her, he took it a step further. He said, I'm not even gonna be in the same room with you. We need to stop toying around with sin like it's a game. We need to stop uh, trying to walk as close to the line as we can um, and say, well, I'm, I'm not over the line yet. It, it, you can stand here, but it's only a matter of time you're going to go over the line. We need to get as far away from sin as we can possibly be. Joseph wouldn't not only give in to her desire, he wouldn't even be with her. This young man had a visible faith, a visible faith that matched his words. You know the story. She eventually got mad at him. She, commit, she accused him of trying to molest her and so forth. Verse number 19, it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Do you understand when Potiphar did that, his investment of money that he purchased Joseph for was gone. He threw it all away. Joseph wasn't a slave anymore. Uh, not because he set him free, he threw him in prison. Joseph's more of a victim than he's ever been in his entire existence. We have no idea how long he was in Potiphar's house. And we have no idea how long he was in his prison, uh, in, in the prison thereafter. But we know he was 17 in Genesis 37. And we know when he was released from prison, the Bible says he was 30 years old. There is a 13-year time span in there. A slave in Potiphar's house, a prisoner in the house where, where Pharaoh's prisoners were kept. And that young man never lost his testimony. That young man never changed. Verse 21, 21 but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison or whatsoever he did there. He was the doer of it. He got a promotion in the prison, but please uh, may you understand He's still a prisoner. He doesn't get out at night. He doesn't go home to his wife and kids. He lives in a cell. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph, what did Pharaoh see in him? Pharaoh saw that he had a holiness in spite of his hurt. He saw that here's a young man that lost everything, but he did not lose his faith. 
And he also saw that faith lived out in front of him. And when things went from bad to worse, the next person in Joseph's life could see the exact same thing. If my faith is not visible, no matter what I proclaim and no matter what I profess, it is worthless. If your faith is not visible, it's worthless. God says it's dead. It's no better than the devil's. Because see, they believe it too. But that doesn't change a thing. So the question before us tonight is those around us, do they see that our faith is real? Do they even see our faith? Do they see it? Those closest to us, those that hang around us for any time, do they walk away saying that's real, what they profess is real, or do they walk away saying, I thought they were saved. And they talk like that. And, and, and they do that, and they, they, they live like that, and they, they treat people like that. A faith that is not visible is worthless. We live in a world that needs to see that God is real. And they're gonna see it best through us. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. That's one way that we make our faith visible. So how are we doing? Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this.